Welcome back to Never Fade the NFT podcast. I'm your host, Fax. As always, I'm joined by the one, the only, Good Month ETH. You have been a very busy man, my friend. How are you doing? I'm good, boss. I'm good. I'm excited to pop on this pod. It's been seven days. That's long for us. I think before we move uh, along here any further, we need to unpack this orange hoodie that you're wearing right now, bro. What's up with the the orange D-Gods hoodie merch? Talk to us, bro. Yeah, yeah. You know, last episode we were talking about where's the merch, where's the merch? I totally forgot that I ordered this around the Bitcoin Ordinals uh, mint, and then I got the email saying, like, it's on your way, and I, or it's on the way, and I was like, yo, let's go. Uh, yeah, dude, I got the orange D-Gods uh, Bitcoin hoodie here. The back is some some... You can't really see it because my lighting, I don't think, but you got a little bit of uh, yeah, kind of yeah, geeky, geeky blocks on it. It's very tech, tech oriented. I did think it was embroidered. I thought it was going to be de embroidered. It is screen print, which is fine, but I was, I was hoping for some chunky embroidery there. Yeah, you got rugged on the embroidery. Yeah, a little rugged on that. Well, look on the Never Fade podcast, we talk about all kinds of things related to NFTs and Web3, and we have not discussed at all Bitcoin ordinals, and that's really not the premise of the show today, but since you're wearing the hoodie, I think we should bring it up for a moment here. Um, I kind of like was skeptical about Bitcoin ordinals when they first came out, and what flipped me on it was D-Gods and D-Block, where 535 D-Gods were brought back from the dead, and inscribed in one block on the Bitcoin blockchain. And it looks like based on what's going on and the news around, you know, how, how the Bitcoin community is feeling, they're looking at ordinals like it's it's like spamming the network and it's, yeah. it's clogging up the network and it's causing a lot of controversy and discussion. And frankly, I think that's bullish for Bitcoin ordinals. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, for those who are listening that don't know, ordinals are essentially like NFTs or images inscribed into uh, storage on a Bitcoin, right? Which is a little bit different from, it's a little bit different from uh, NFTs on Ethereum, where NFTs on Ethereum are uh, images on top of tokens, but they're not inscribed in, in chain. And ordinals are images and texts or audio files or applications that are inscribed into a SAT. And I think there's 100,000 SATs in a Bitcoin. Is that right? No, I think there's like uh, 100 million Satoshi per Bitcoin. Per Bitcoin. Okay. Something ridiculous like that. So so a single yeah. Satoshi is like absolutely like a nominal amount of Bitcoin to the point where you can't even like send a single Satoshi by itself. However, you can identify which ones have been inscribed and they're all indexed and there's a lot of infrastructure being built around organizing it, marketplaces. Um, and I, frankly, I think it's blowing up and it probably uh, warrants like a whole episode of its own. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and there's BRC20s. Have... BRC20s are like coins that are being inscribed onto Bitcoin. And, you know, to your point, I think it's bullish because Bitcoin has always been talked about as a chain of storage, like a, a store of value. 
And the Lightning Network has always been something where Bitcoin-minded people have kind of felt like we don't need a scaling solution because all I do is hold my Bitcoin. So if the network is congested, but all you're doing is holding your Bitcoin, what's it matter? But if the network is congested and it's because you're using Bitcoin and you're transacting, then this is going to force you onto Lightning Network or some scaling solutions. And ETH went through this in the 21 bull run. We went through our scaling solutions. Now, ETH L1 is congested right now because of meme coins, but the amount of L2s and scaling solutions that ETH has because of the congestion, like, I think, you know, the Bitcoin community is going to find out what kind of devs they have to help them scale. And I think it's going to be a forcing mechanism to help them have a scaling solution and actually transact on Bitcoin if they want to do more than just hold. So I think it's a, it's a controversy, but I think it's a controversy that's going to push the chain forward. Or yeah. it's going to cement the chain in even more of a store of value. So I see it as a win-win. Yeah, it's funny because I saw like some devs discussing how they need to find a solution, uh, a spam filtration solution. So like what people are collecting and, you know, celebrating as these images that are put on chain, some Bitcoin devs are calling spam and it's kind of like, it's hilarious, right? But the point is it's immutable. So there's, there's no going back. And that's, you know, that's part of the narrative. Um, and I think with time, no matter what happens, like the process of inscribing will become more expensive, uh, you know, assuming Bitcoin holds its value or goes, you know, I think it will become more expensive and the barrier to entry will become higher, higher and higher. I think, you know, building the lore of these, these early ordinals. So let's table this for now. I think it's a fascinating discussion that we should dedicate some time to maybe bring in some some kind of Bitcoin ordinal experts to talk about. What we're going to hit on today is a whole nother conversation, a project that is, you know, started in mystery and has gone through kind of like the ringer of the NFT ecosystem, and that is Goblin Town. We're going to be joined by Alexander Top, the founder of Truth Labs and Goblin Town, and it looks like they're putting together a new project called Big Ink, which I have a lot of questions about, and hopefully those will get answered today. Um, look, Goblin Town dropped at a time post-Luna when crypto was down bad. People were, who were holding crypto and NFTs were absolutely you know, going to, as they say, the Goblin Town, feeling like wrecked. Um, and, and this art came through and this kind of like mysterious imagery and storyline and website and, and, and started to go viral. And, and you know, spaces were popped up where people were making goblin noises. And look, I thought it was hilarious, dude. I, I was in there. I was in those spaces. I was smiling ear to ear, uh, thinking the whole thing is very entertaining. And I think it's what we needed at the time. Um but, but I think it got a lot bigger, a lot faster than probably Alexander would have expected. And so we're going to talk to him a little bit about that. What are, you, what are you hoping to learn from this episode, Good? Yeah, I mean, for my anecdote of the experience was, you know, I, I was listening to these people speak Goblin talk, and I just 
what was fascinating that Twitter spaces, like the clip that people that people were joining versus falling out of that Twitter spaces was amazing. Like the ratio of people that were sticking around. Eventually it was like an hour to two hour Twitter spaces and people were talking nonsense and there were over 3,000 people that tuned in and they were literally mining secrets, like mining alpha. They were trying to figure out, you know, if Yuga Labs was behind this. And um, I think they were trying to figure out if Yuga Labs was behind it because the the timing was so god mode. Like they launched Goblin Town when everything was going down and the art was done and like they were prepared for this. Um and the I think the only thing of like why they didn't have lasting power in like markets for their NFT was because though their art by Process Gray is amazing, it's also just it's tuned for the gutter, right? It's tuned for the bad times. So when times it's hard to get that art to go um in a positive direction right like take a look at like utes utes is like happy and positive and that's where when it's going up people want to go that way so i almost have always felt like they were going to do like this this metadata refresh to make it more happy um and and when they froze all the metadata i thought that's what what was going to happen um so i'd like to talk about that with them like they made an authoritative decision to switch everyone's metadata to upgrade their contract. Um, something I actually talked to uh, AJT about, you know, about upgradable contracts and future proofing as a risk at some point, you know, and that's what that was their decision of switching over the contract. So a little fascinating there. I would like to dig into that. Um, I have the highest Goblin Town sale, so. I popped a butterfly ears for 18 ETH. Like, that was the top. No one sold anything for higher than that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and and this was another one of these situations where I was like, hey, good, check out this uh, NFT. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is interesting. Oh, what's up with the butterfly ears? I was like, yeah, I got a butterfly ears. You're like, I'm going to get a butterfly ears. And somehow I sold mine for 11 ETH and you sold yours for 18 ETH. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> how did this happen? You know, like orders of magnitude, you know, over here. So I was in Mexico when it hit. It was in Mexico when it hit. And it was like, that's the best. I mean, that was the best sale for six months uh, that I had from June until January. I didn't hit that big, um, you know, buying, buying at point. 0.69 and selling at 18 i didn't have that level of flip uh and until we got into q1 23 yeah and it was kind of like one of those things where the floor ran up so furiously so fast so high it kind of like forces your hand it's like i i felt like i have to sell it like you know how do you not sell it it would be irresponsible not to and I think probably a lot of people felt that way at that time. Like, hey, man, what are you going to do? Yeah, and something for you, facts. Like, I think you were, like, I think you absolutely distinguished yourself in that moment as, like, a master of psychology of traders in this space at that time. Like, that is when you really came out and were like, I know how this, like, I know how this is going to trend in these cycles. Like, I, I just remember that because I had my butterfly ears listed for eight 
And I was like, of course I'm going to pop this today. I bought, you know, bought it at 0.69. Of course I'm going to pop it at 8. And you text me and you're just like, yo, I think you should maybe delist. Like, hold off a little bit. Like, this thing has steam. And and yeah, because I you were, you. <laughs> yeah, you were hitting, you just were, you were really on to the psychology that people still haven't figured out. And I think, you know, you've given six months of effort into watching this play out and like, I wouldn't fade facts on the trade windows. Thank you, player. Yeah, and I told you to delist. And I'd, I had even at that point underestimated how high you needed to relist because I got caught off guard on my, you know, on my butterfly years. Like, I wasn't prepared for that to sell. The floor ran up so fast, it popped off. Hey, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. But, it, you know, this is just kind of like how this market works. And I, I'm glad to hear from Alexander from his lens, the experience as it unfolded. We have him here in the studio. Let's go ahead and bring him in now. All right, we're joined by Alex Tob, AJT, the founder of Truth Labs in Goblin Town, and Jonah Free Gas, the first employee and also the founder of Nifty Labs. Welcome into the podcast, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Yeah, so you know, just to kind of get kicked off here, if you guys could give us a little bit of background on Truth Labs, like when it was founded and why. Yeah, sure. Um, so I co-founded it um, with two other people. Uh, one's name is Caesar Kuryama, uh, and the other is goes by by Process Gray, uh, the artist. And um, Caesar and I have been friends for over a decade, and we were really early into some of the crypto stuff and you know, minted a bunch of great stuff early on. And we were just thinking about like, what would we do with our own project? Um, and we came up with, with some ideas and, um, we had this idea around, uh, I think it started off a little as a joke. Like if the Illuminati existed, it would sort of be a DAO. Um, so <laughs> we ended up, uh, coming up with this, like thinking like the, I, the iconography of the like pyramid in the eye would re work really well. Um, and Caesar hit up uh, his good friend, Process Gray, and they he basically started just like drawing some stuff out. And I was like, all right, we got something crazy here. And we started running with it. And then uh, it evolved a lot from there, but that was sort of like the origin of it, the three of us. Thanks for sharing, man. So in those early days of Truth Labs, it was you, Caesar, and Process Gray. And this kind of like mimetic concept around the Illuminati on the blockchain almost, right? So like the, that early experience with NFTs and blockchain, like what are some of like the main takeaways as a builder kind of coming out the gates with that project that you have? Yeah, um, it was, so it was Gray, Caesar, myself early, um, but fairly quickly we added just some amazing people to the team. Um, we added... Uh, trying to remember who was first it was maybe scott or bruce um you're saying i'm not a point number one ajt <laughs> what <Well, no. laughs> uh i think you guys were i think scott and bruce were already on board when when i reached out to needle um but i mean yeah we'll take, they're, they're, we'll take four and five it's fine yeah no but they they um yeah we we uh we all came together i'd say like and then the only other person before we launched was sydney but that was like in November. So we were working on this at the end of the summer of 2021. So 
I think the idea came to us. The idea, the uh, initial idea came to me in July. I was taking my, I remember exactly where it was because I was driving my daughter to or from uh, camp. So um, that was in, I believe, July, maybe August, but I think it was July or August. And then I pitched Caesar on it, and then Caesar brought Gray, and then it sort of spiraled. It sort of went from there. Um, but no, in terms of the in terms of those early days, you know, some of the lessons. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, the the space is so different now than it was then. You know, then like it's it's sort of like um, the 1990s like stock market, right? Like you could be a monkey and throw a dart, and and the price will go up. It's the same thing. Like anyone could drop a collection. And like, yeah, you may have not heard of like Illuminati, but like we had a really successful launch also. Like, um, you know, we we uh, we sold, I want to say like a few million dollars worth of NFTs. And then also a few million dollars that went to a, a DAO that the community owns that has like, I think 800, 900 ETH in there right now. So um, yeah, I mean, listen, it didn't take over the space for a month like, like Goblin Town did, but it... it um, it had it's own, it was successful in its own right, and it still is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you and you all were so novel with the Illuminati NFT in a way with like the metadata refresh. Uh, that was that was before its time, right? That was you. You basically had your uh, placeholder, and you were slowly revealing characters. Oh, so that's the so that's the one eight seven. So one eight seven. So, okay. So just for a little like history on it. We launched the Illuminati at the end of 2021, beginning of 2022. The official launch date was January 3rd. I think that was a public sale. Um, yeah, but we gotcha. actually did something different, which is we took it took about a month to roll out, and we actually had it in phases. Because the way we sort of thought about it internally was like a sort of a love letter to like all the popular projects. So like phase one was like board apes and cyber kongs, and and at the time like Azuki didn't exist. There was like a few like there was um there was like the the five biggest projects had like phase one and they can mint first. And then the next phase was like mutant apes and cool cats and this and that and gutter cat and whatever. And then the, the it basically went for like four phases. First of all, I do not recommend uh, having a month long NFT uh, rollout. That is not a healthy <laughs> thing for anybody. I'm sure Jonah was not happy with us. Um, usually it's better to condense it into short time periods, but it also helped us build a really great community that is still there, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was, but when we initially launched the contract, um, we, I mean, Jonah could talk to it, but from my understanding that there was an issue with like escalating gas. So every, um, every time someone minted it, the gas would go up, uh, and it got to like mint number 187 and we basically like pulled the plug on it. We just redeployed a new contract, airdropped everyone, their corresponding NFT, and then we just had 187 NFTs sitting in people's wallets. So we randomly turned them gold. And, uh, but then in the Discord, the, uh, the people who ha own them started just calling themselves the 187. Um, and nice. We're like, oh, this is cool. So then we, you know, we already had this idea around building this, like, this universe and characters and a richer, deeper story. Um, and they were like, what if we just made 187, like, species characters? as the thing and then those people own own those nfts so um that was like january 2022 we didn't reveal the first one until J the first or second week of june 
Um, and uh, once we revealed them, we, uh, we've been doing about one or two a week since. So there's only like 40-ish revealed, 40, 40-ish, I think. They're they're amazing pieces, and I've like I've been I've always gone and visit those. I've, I botched the one eight seven name for it, but like the uh, the art there is absolutely killer. And you also I want to dig into it in a little bit. Maybe Jonah, is that how you got your free gas name? Was the gas was compounding, and then you just freed freed gas? Well, is you that, know, is that we, where it comes we, from? we were all looking for an identity back in twenty twenty one when people actually cared about what was going on, you know. And so I just found it ironic that. We would spend hundreds of dollars just to mint, you know, all of these different collections and art pieces. And so it was kind of just a play on the entire like mentality of 2021. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, to answer Fax's original question of like early lessons learned, like I think one of the big ones uh, with truth and just generally was moving fast and pivoting, right? Like reacting to the reality on the ground and making decisions because... Yeah, what happened was there was an exponential gas issue, right? Uh, actually, I think I saw a collection very recently ran into this problem with like the way they set up an array to check whitelisted addresses or something. Uh, but it was just, you know, it was a development issue, right? And uh, we saw that gas was going up. We said, well, yeah, we, we have to kill this. As a team, you know, us, AGT, the whole team, we're like, all right, this is the path, this is what we're going to do. Got it done, got it out. And you know, then making a little lemonade from lemons with the 187 was really nice. Um, and the community yeah. really helped us determine that yeah. path. And it's evolved into something truly incredible. Yeah. And you guys can tell you you really put a lot of effort. Like, it's only 187. And you put a lot of effort buying those characters. And you also announced, this was like, maybe it was like a year ago now. feels like three months ago. But you had your IP announcement with with the 187. Is that correct? Where... Basically, it was like a rev share model on on the IP. It's so funny you say that because there's a we're ready to start talking about it publicly. Um, wow! So we've we've cool. we've we've signed the first one, and the second one is going to sign, and probably a third one soon. So it's funny you mention that right now. Um, but uh, I'm hoping maybe even this week to be able to announce the the first one. Um, That's amazing. That's amazing. So, yeah. When you when you announced that on Twitter. Uh, was it six months ago? Am I right on that time frame, or was it longer? I don't know. I'd have to look back on my account. Yeah, no big deal. We'll, we'll we'll sleuth that up for you. But like when y'all announced that, I it, I really felt that that was novel, and that that was a moment for me when I realized that DGens don't read. Like that was a moment for me when I realized that like the value uh, that you guys were putting forth in this this IP uh, construct. It was in August. Construct? Okay, August. That's eight months ago. Eight months. I think we should unpack though exactly like what you guys are referring to here because for the DGENs that didn't read, not, not many specific ones, but for the DGENs that didn't read, what are you, you know, what are you guys specifically referring to? Let's unpack this because I think it is a very novel concept. Yeah, so the, the the 187 is 187 characters, and so there's a, a lot of debate around, like, IP ownership in terms of NFTs, right? That's, like, a really popular topic, and, like, most people have no idea what they're talking about, right? Like, I just saw someone who's pretty well known in the space, I'm not going to, you know, call anyone out, talk about how, like, you know, uh, the, the CC0 versus, uh, you know, giving IP. It's, like, the... Like these, and listen, I own two board apes. Uh, 
I'm a fan of Yuga. I'm a fan of other ones who give away the I give the IP to the holders, but they're not. It's not real. Like it's fake. It's fake IP ownership. And I, I will debate any uh, person in this space, any legal expert. It's just not real. And the reason why you know it's not real is because they can revoke it, right? If you have IP ownership to something and someone else can change your like what you can do with it, you don't actually own anything, right? So if you own a board eight and you go and say, hey, I'm going to go use it for this brand, right? And now I go and I put it on some, you know, nefarious item, right? I, uh, you know, maybe not nefarious is the right word. An item that you do not approve of. You, you want to brand a pistol with your ape, let's say, yeah, well, hypothetically. Yeah, or, or like, you know, uh, some item that you just would not approve of, right? You can't really sue me. You don't, because you don't actually own the IP, you own like this imaginary IP, which is basically Board Ape saying, and Yuga saying, we're not going to sue you if you want to make stuff with your own stuff, which is essentially just CC0. But okay, we could take a step back. So if you wanted to bring a claim against me, you could not do it by yourself. You would need Yuga to come and support your claim. And like, if there's enough of that out there, like Yuga's not going and supporting random people suing each other. It's not a, a, a business model for anybody. So like... The whole point around CC0 was like, hey, I'm telling you, like, Yuga's telling you, like, you could do whatever you want with your ape. But, like, if Facebook bought, like, if, if Meta or Facebook bought Yuga tomorrow and they're like, actually, we don't want you to have those rights anymore, they can revoke them because you don't really own them. And then, you know, you don't have them anymore. And now you can be like, well, okay, why, they wouldn't do that because the thing would crash. Well, maybe the, actually the value of going mainstream actually doesn't provide value back to the holders maybe just provides value back to the company. So they don't really care. So the point I'm trying to make though, is th th there's this like misunderstanding of, of rights. And this is the whole thing with Moonbirds and going CC zero. They would not have been able to do that if you actually owned any IP. The actual agreement you have with the organization you buy this from is that they just won't sue you and you could do whatever you want. But I promise you, if you do something bad with your ape, right? In a really bad way, there will be a lot of conversations. Uh, if you start a new terrorist organization and you make the ape the, the face of it, I promise you, Yuga's going to have a bunch of conversations internally about, you know, <laughs> I don't know, something. And maybe they'll decide in the end of the day that they don't want to like lift the veil over the sort of the fakeness of the IP. But anyway, so that's, that's, that's the general usual battle between IP rights and CC0. CC0 basically just means that I put in the public domain I can't be evil, right? I can't sell it to Mark Zuckerberg and then him revoke, you know, all the stuff. Now, in terms of the 187 agreement, the reason why you can't do like revenue share or any type of things with holders is because that would be a, a, a security, probably an unregistered security. Um, and the reason why is because if you're offering the same deal to like 10,000 holders or 10,000, uh, you know, NFTs, um, it is basically you th that violates securities law, right? But if you have materially different agreements with every single holder, then you can do a revenue share. You can do a bunch of these things. So we announced this thing, um, and it's the actual name of it, I just literally, it's called the um, Collaborative NFT License. And the idea is that the, we have all these characters, um, and we are going to work on custom deals with each one so for example one of them is a goblin when we announced goblin town um 
this this uh, character called Nagunda uh, was tied to that. Um, we have another character that is wearing a really cool pair of glasses and a hoodie, not a hoodie, um, a beanie, and like there's a potential to sell the merch um, and revenue share with the person. So there's some really cool ideas and things here where, um, you know, you do a custom contract with them and you can revenue share with somebody. You can do something different here that you cannot do with 10,000 NFTs. You just can't. So that's, so, so we have a few, we have one that's fully signed and then we have another one that we agreed on everything. We just need to sign it. And then there's a third one that I'm starting to work on now. Good month. Let me yeah. ask you, good to like, why does that concept interest or excite you? Facts. I mean, I think that, I think this is so fascinating just to, to play off of what Alex is saying is that the IP that Board Ape gives you, uh, it's, it's, I've always looked at it as just like a license to try, a license to FAFO, right? You get a you get a license to go mess around with the IP, but it's not a binding lease. It's not a binding agreement. You can always have it come out. You can always get it taken down. When this IP release came out eight months ago from the Truth Labs team, uh, I just felt like it was in a time when everybody had stopped pushing all the spirit forward with their IP. You know, when Twenty One launched. And board apes came out. Everyone was starting businesses and throwing their apes everywhere, and it helped led to it led to ubiquity. But when you look at the one eight seven art and you see the characters, you see the thought process, you see process Gray's uh, art in it, and you realize that like Truth Labs is an entity that's actually going to go kind of work for you to bridge these connections that you can then be a part of and just owning and holding. I, I thought it was needed in the space. I thought it was novel. So. Pretty pretty jazzed to hear that, that those developments are coming along. So there's there's three deals right now. One's done. The one that's done is with a lot of people know him, uh, King Kong, who is uh, yeah. the b biggest holder of of Goblin Town. He owns the Goblin 187, um, and uh, so uh, officially becoming sort of a partner. Um, and it's actually twofold. One is uh, percentage of royalties going forward and backdated as well. Um, and then, in which everyone knows Goblin Town did very well on that stuff. Um, so that's, that's one thing that's like, like he's going to make the money he spent on it plus already. Um, and then, and, and also going forward, and we have royalties, you know, back on now. So that's that, you know, as time goes on, the historical significance of goblins and the, you know, the bear market, uh, could be really cool. Um, and then the other pieces on his end, actually, he, People don't know this. I don't want to blow up his spot, but he's a very successful business person. Like this is like just fun for him. This is not like he's not putting his life savings in. Like he's putting like a week's worth of salary in in his, in in NFTs. Um, yeah. Uh, like probably not even. <laughs> so he's um he own he's he runs. I actually don't know what his title is, but he he's either the founder or he runs one of the biggest hospitality companies in uh, like Singapore, Bali. South is that Southeast Asia? Anyway, he yep. has a handful of hotels there that um, you will be able to, if you own a goblin, be able to come to. Um, Amazing. And yeah, he's like any goblin can come to my stuff, and it's good. There's going to be a, a like a large list. Um, so that's that one, which is like you know a nice a nice uh, situation, and people will be able to see the stuff on chain. I'm sure people will write about it, care about it. Um, 
the second one is with uh, Ding Ding. Um, for those that know in the community, she owns Bridge the Wall Dragon, and Bridge has. Oh man, I think they're upstairs. I have the I have I have the sunglasses actually. You you want me to run upstairs and grab them because I actually have the physicals. Absolutely, Bridge is Bridge is a badass man. Bridge Bridge is Bridge is my favorite. So Bridge Bridge is we've sort of revealed this. Bridge is like the muscle for Big Mister, who is the CEO of Big Ink, and um, he's got this really great like Big Ink beanie and these sunglasses, um, and we are going to release them uh, as like a merch and like so these deals like they they the it, this is going to be like the deal for bridge but there could be multiple deals right like it doesn't need to be just one this is just like okay we want to do a merch thing and we're going to revenue share uh with dinging on on any sales um and then the third one that i'm starting to talk about is the person who owns uh the big ink one um and we're about to have a mint we're about to have stuff so there's a whole opportunity there so i'm excited about it because it's super cool and it's different and um and like you know a lot of people are realizing they like they do the math and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like the money I just spend on this, I actually make back. So I just could ride it. For, you know what I mean? Like it's so that's pretty cool. We we do a little bit of shot calling on this space. Uh, we do a little bit of like time in the market and waiting for the right time. And I, I think 187 is prime. The four is at six and a half ETH facts. Um, they were sitting above 20 plus like during peak bear when these reveals were going on time kills the dgen's attention people don't know what's coming and it's it's the look it's 2023 communities are communities are going through it like you actually want a real opportunity and you actually want to hold real art 187 baby I know facts is going to be scrolling after this podcast it's the time to take a look yeah no i mean i really like the conversation around IP and the fact that, you know, people think they own IP, but it's like perceived and it's not real and it's limited. And it even says that like, you know, in the IP agreement that they shared with holders speaking about Yuga, like it says like, you can't use it for X, Y, Z, you know, reasons and all of this. And like this NFT, this this collaborative NFT approach with individual users is absolutely alpha. Like, I think it's empowering. And, and I think a lot of people in the space who are engaged, who want to build, who want to advance projects, that is more aligned with the vision that they might have of involvement. And so I love to hear it. So we have AJT back with some special glasses here. Tell us, tell us a story with these glasses. So um, this is just a prototype of it, but this is like the closest thing we could get to Bridges glasses. And uh, we're gonna have like a nice little big ink, maybe a little like Goblin Town, maybe some like Illuminati pyramids. And uh, yeah, you know this will be one of the things. It'll be like the beanie and this. Like, uh, we're still deciding when and how, but that's the idea. Might be a steal his look. Uh, yeah, no, it's going to be like a steal. For, it's going to uh, be like a steal his look. Add big ink, like uh, the commissary. I feel like we're going to see some people uh, sitting at the World Series of Poker table rock, rocking those, you know, coming soon. So before we get into big ink, because I definitely want to, we need to take a little trip through Goblin Town. 
right? And Goblin Town was launched after the Luna crashed. It was absolutely a down bad time for anybody holding crypto, holding NFTs. It was, uh, frankly, like a dark and scary time. And I think, you know, you have to have a short-term memory to some degree to be able to exist in this space. So a lot of people have probably moved past that. But, like, I vividly remember the feeling on the timeline, in the space, of people feeling like, how the heck did we get here? We're going to Goblin Town. This is bad news. We're not, we're NGMI. We're not going to make it. What was super interesting to me about the launch of Goblin Town was clearly that there was a lot of work that went into, you know, the actual art, the concept, the meme ahead of the launch, but the timing of it was so money. So like, how did it happen that you had this all ready to go, like for the absolute like bottom of the crypto and NFT marketplace? How did that happen? Yeah, I, I mean it was pretty crazy. Uh, even thinking back, just a lot of lot of lightning in a bottle. Um, I mean, the thing was is we had a full team sort of like just working, and also the thing is that Gray is just an unbelievable fast like um, artist. Like I'm not gonna say what, but he literally like. He was bored like a day or two ago. Jonah knows this. And he literally whipped up a full collection that has like a million trait possibilities. Um, like, you know, been sitting down for like three hours. He's, I think he's just become very efficient at being able to do it in a very similar style to Goblin Town. And it's a joke and maybe we'll release it, maybe we won't, I don't know. But the, um, like, we're all just like, everyone's like really good at what they do. And everyone just like has their task to do. Um... And everyone brings something else to the table. So uh, we were just lucky that we had a full team with just like a great idea that we could just execute very quickly on. Um, yeah. That's how it sort of happened. And, and you know, unfortunately, this this kind of happened to you in, on the Twitter threads. And I, I caught wind of it. I actually kind of like popped in the replies and was like, yo, like, let, like you got to lay off builders. But Alex, you had someone come after you in Twitter DMs. That was trying to say like you stole their idea. Um, oh, do you remember the, this? The the um, the Omakasi guy. Yeah, they were just hammering. He, you. Like they weren't letting no, you no. go. Oh no! I think there was some guy that did some sort of like goblin Twitter space like show thing, and I think he was, they were saying that we took that idea, which we didn't. I don't think anyone right. really saw that thing. Um, right, but. No, I mean, the idea of, of Go Goblin Town, the concept, wasn't unique to us. It was, everyone was saying, like, down, down to Goblin. It's from The Hobbit, right? Like, right. If, if right. anyone anyone stole from it, it's, um, it's you know, Tolkien. So Tolkien. I think, I mean, in the end of the day, um, yeah, like, we were not, like, looking at other people to be like, oh, what are they yeah. doing? If anything, we look at other people and we're like, okay, they did that. We don't want to do that. We want to do something different. The reason why the reason why I bring that up is because you and I didn't think you had to do it, but you actually posted your iMessage chats with the team early on, and and like first of all, like that was that's above and beyond transparency. But I I I loved reading those iMessages because you you it literally you can tell that's where the idea started. 
Like, I think the iMessage is like, hey, what if, like, when this thing goes down, like, we, we create Goblin Town where everyone goes down, down to Goblin Town. Like, that was in the iMessage, right? Yeah, well, I had to explain it. I had to explain it to Greg because he had no idea what I was talking about. Because um, he's, like, an artist, and he, like, you know, he, he's not, like, Caesar and I are more, like, in the thick of the D-Gen world. I think Greg's becoming more of a D-Gen as we, like, rub off on him. But for the most part, like, he was less of a D-Gen and, like, knowing some of these, like, in in you know like the intrin uh like the the minutiae of of like web three and i think now he's a little bit more versed um but uh yeah i mean listen i, I don't know i get a ton of abuse on twitter for a lot of different things so <laughs> i you know it's like it's sort of it comes with a thing i'm not a big blocker i'm more of a muter so i sometimes yeah. i don't even see it anymore um yeah which I think it just frustrates people more. So maybe I should just block them, and, uh, you know, like put them out of their misery. But no, I think, I mean, I think, uh, listen, we, 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 we made it free. We had a free mint, right? We didn't charge anyone anything. And we made it free so that like, you know, it was just, um, we, we really made it free so that we could like have fun experimenting and have like little pressure, you know, little did we know uh, people like, you know, and we said no utility, no roadmap, no this. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in this space. Like honestly, the second you release something, anyone who buys it, you are their slave uh, to deliver for the rest of your life, and it's just not healthy. And I don't think it's going to attract a lot of people. Um, so we just said like, hey, listen, we're going to give it away for free, and we're going to do whatever we want. And that might not make the price go up. It might make the price go down. It might be this. It might do that. But we're going to feel comfortable doing however, whatever we want to do that we think is the right thing here uh, to make it most interesting. And something that we talk about a lot internally is like everyone here wants mainstream, mainstream, mainstream NFTs. Like mainstream NFT doesn't mean you're people coming to buy your NFTs. They're probably meaning cheaper, more supply, you know, more affordable, more ubiquity. And like, I, I just, I don't know. I think, um, I think there's a lot, I, I think it's funny how everyone's moved to like meme coins because it's the natural, you know, evolution of like, you know, uh, you know, the crypto brain, you know, oh, okay. yeah, I don't, I don't need to see the picture anymore. I just want to, is this thing going to go up or not? Yeah. And it does, it does seem like meme coin season is a little bit, uh, born out of blur, born out of like people that have grinded up to mids and grails and rares and not getting value of it. So reverting back to fungibles. So I can definitely like see this, see the cycle we're in. But I'm also, as I'm talking to y'all, I'm starting to understand like the magic of Truth Labs internally. It's that like with, you know, you mentioned everybody being really skilled and everybody good at what they do. It sounds like, you know, Alex, you and Caesar throw, you know, business model like lightning in a bottle ideas out at the team, you know, left and right and kind of see what sticks and see who runs with it with their own passion. Is that... Is that fair to say? Yeah, no. I mean, I think I'm good at coming up with an initial idea. Like, I had the initial idea for, like, Goblin Town. But then, like, Caesar adds his own flavor to it, which was, like, the CC0, the no utility, the no roadmap, the just, like, the vibes um, and some of the mechanics around it. Um, Gray, you know, does his art stuff. You know, Nifty's doing all the Web3 stuff. Scott does the website stuff. Bruce does, like, lore and music. Um, you know, Sydney, you know, does social. She came up with like the goblin language and the, and the Twitter spaces. Um, 
you know, Steph makes sure everyone, you know, she's our like GM and makes sure that everything gets done. Um, I think I said Scott does the websites. Uh, we added uh, this guy, John, who's just like an amazing, he makes videos and voices and everything. So we just have like a really awesome, like sort of core team where everyone does something yeah. really good. But to be clear, not, not, not every idea makes it. No, there's so many ideas that get shot down. He's a phenomenal guy, but not every single idea makes it. Right. I've got shot down so many times. And that's the, you know, and that's the, that's the, the love letter to the entrepreneur, right? Like you, you, you got to throw the shot, shoot or shoot. And then you kind of let the team take it in and, and see, you know, beat it up and, and, and pass it around. So Jonah working on, working on the, the contracts, like you're the contract guy for, uh, for Truth Labs, walk me through a little bit of uh, walk me through a little bit of man in the contracts uh, behind Truth Labs. Yeah, and so I also have a, a co-founder of Nifty, uh, uh, Alex uh, Nealman, who um, does a ton of this work as well, and is is really like also runs lead on a lot of our on a lot of our Solidity work. Uh, but it's it's a lot of kind of what you mentioned of taking ideas and turning it into technical requirements and reading it back and saying, we can do this, but here are the implications of that. And, and making this work is going to have X, Y, and Z impact. And, you know, you see a little bit of it. I know we're, we're getting to big ink uh, soon, but like in something like the down bad board versus, you know, we just talked about this month long mint across uh, different communities for Illuminati NFT. And it really is, is taking all these wild ideas and turning them into something that is viable uh, is a fun exercise in its own right and also results in a lot of creativity. You know, one of the, one of the more outrageous things we did that got uh, really good coverage by some of our, like, I don't know what to call them because they're phenomenal developers as well, but like influencer developers. Uh, influencer usually is like a negative term, but like, you know, people like uh, Quid and Kygar, like, like strong devs who also have really good followings covering like the Goblin Town contracts because all of the functions were just nonsense goblin speak. And it was just like, why does this contract work? Like, how did we not have any spelling errors or anything that would break certain functions, uh, which is just the outrageous influence of creativity that comes with working with uh, all the folks at Truth. So it really is an interesting environment with a lot of like twists and turns, uh, but it's pretty rewarding. And like I said, whenever something does seem a little off. We've got the best crazy creative team out there to, to help write the ship and figure out what we ought to do with that. Uh, so it's yeah. more fun than anything. Yeah. So you, you made a, you made a controversial, uh, little bit flip the other day, uh, with the, with the metadata, walk us through, walk us through the, uh, the internal combos there. Yeah, there was a lot of them, and I think actually AJT might have some some commentary of his own around those internal conversations. But one of the core discussions was really around like what does what's important about these collections, and what is stopping us from doing a certain thing, right? And so that the the main discussion point is provenance. How do you define provenance? What does provenance mean? How is that applied to a token, to a smart contract, whatever it may be? And does changing a smart contract or migrating tokens damage the provenance and if it does how important is that to this thing uh and really when you talk about truth labs goblin town illuminati all of it 
you know, these are these are IPs. They're representative of a DAO. They're they're entertainment. It's it's more around the business and what the business builds than some core historical provenance that makes this the most immutable, important token of all time. Uh, and I think that the emphasis of that really plays out in like when Goblin Town came out, we had eggs that evolved, right? The images and the metadata changed for quite a while, right? Before what is now Big Mister, the Exodia of Goblin Town, right, was really formed. And everyone thought that was really awesome, right? No fun around metadata changes. And then, you know, it, during this change, uh, noticeably, I think all of the yeah. the, the FUD was from non-holders who just kind of wanted their their cloud moment. Yeah. Once this change happened, all of a sudden, oh, this meditated change is FUD worthy, and it's like, where does the buck stop when the change doesn't directly benefit you? When it does, like you know, we had already demonstrated a history of updating art, being very actively involved in collections, and so that that conversation of providence was a much easier one to have because we really acknowledge that the value that comes from these IPs and what truth builds is, of course, the community, but also truth's investment in those and the continuation of growing them, which could result in other changes in the future, right? Like, we're not, it's not like a crypto punk where the beauty of the punk is its existence. The, the, of course, the art is beautiful, but it's also what is happening with the art, the lore, the story, all of that. So, that provenance conversation was a lot easier to have. And then it came down to the classic airdrop or claim, which is more of like a money spend, money save thing and, and how like the collection lives on, which was a more interesting conversation. I think we ultimately made the right decision there as well um, because it kept the collection whole and made it very quick, made it easy to move from one phase to the next. Uh, and the end result has been really um, positive and successful. Uh, and the in memoriam tokens are kind of hilarious, so we 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 kind of love the, uh, you know, the damage or the the waste from the process is also kind of a fun little thing. But I'll yeah. pause because I know AJT was again, you know, the idea person, right? This he was really pushing for this to occur and had you know a really good line of sight as to why. And we were, frankly, I think of anybody, I was probably giving the most pushback is like, is this worth the the negativity or or the public, you know, anger? And I was sort of swayed to realizing that this is not only fine, but really a great way to demonstrate the power of a creator in, in, in you know, on the blockchain and in uh, a market like this, because that yeah. power has really been taken away for a while. Yeah. I think we also try to make it a little bit bigger than us. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, Jonah mentioned like a crypto punk, like Larva Labs doesn't need to do anything anymore, right? They don't do anything anymore for crypto punks to be valuable right 10 years from now if you're gonna buy anything it should be a fidenza a squiggle and a, and a crypto punk because you don't have to think about it right it'll just go up in value if this stuff is interesting in a few years from now um whereas like if tomorrow you could decided not to do anything for board apes anymore the value would go down because the value is baked in that they're going to continue to try and do cool new things which i think they will so for us like there's no historical significance to anything we're doing right it's just the value of truth labs building um, and, you know, I always would laugh when people would be like, well, I guess we'll just find another, you know, interesting revenue stream. It's like, this is the most amazing revenue. Like why, how are we going to get any other artists into the space? If now we're just taking away the one thing that, that did either the prices for mints are going to get astronomically expensive and people are just not going to buy them or 
people are just not going to enter the space because there's like there's no like so attaching the like and we're also letting you know a small amount of people right dictate like the entire space because just because they want a little bit more they want five percent more on top or seven percent or ten even ten percent more on top and i get that like you know uh places like blur you know whatever's technologically possible right you know they'll do but they're also like doing something illegal which is violating every company's terms of service which is like if you have a terms of service it's typically like hey you can't violate our you know marketplace fee so i mean uh, the other option was just legal and that's just gonna take too long and not worth it and you'd have to probably get a lot of collections all together to come and do like sort of a, a class action and nobody really wants that um and so even even now even when we change the stuff like we're also at the at the you know the we have to still bend the knee to like you know open sea and blur so that they you know they could still shut off the the percentage right um i was sort of like wondering if when we released fublur.com if if blur was gonna respond in any type of way and it's good that they didn't um but so i don't know i just i i also think people like forgot about it after a week you know it's like the space moves so fast and you know there's a few decentralized maxis but for the most part there's people here because they want to they want to find the next alpha to to make money um so you know the idea is like hey we want to stand the test of time we want to be here for a long time and if you take away a piece of the incentive um it just caps what what you could do in a long long enough horizon yo so this is really fascinating to hear because this is a fight you guys are fighting the fight of the creator and you're doing that on the back of saying hey like the value here is that we have a team that's creating and building and don't don't rug our team in the name of your five percent of profits and so you're taking the heat for this you're you're doing something that the community is going to come down on you for but the reality is this is a much bigger message and a much bigger conversation about the future of this space. Uh, what are we doing to the creators? What are we doing to the artists? And how are we going to manage that royalty situation moving forward? So where does that bring us to in terms of like the actual Goblin Town NFT itself and the royalties on it? And like, where does that sit right now? Where do you see this going? We, we might, I'd say the one thing we should have done differently is we should just like talk to the community and tell them what we're doing and why we're doing it before we actually did it. I think that would be the only, the only change, um, is communicating a little bit more. Um, for the most part, most of the community was cool with it because they want us to continue to do stuff. Honestly, like, and, and, and a lot of communities took it a lot of, a lot of people because of the new contract stuff and not, you know respecting um royalties they just took it as an opportunity to you know gtfo you know they're just like oh, all right i guess you know we're done here and like i don't blame them some of them you know it's like you know there's like uh you don't respect us we don't respect you type of thing um but we want to be here for a while we want to do more things we have a lot on we have a lot we want to do and this is a piece of it is it everything no like could we find ways to work sure but like why should we need to when there's an amazing option that literally is only uh, 
it, it's only a piece of what you would, you know what I mean? It's just like a percentage of a successful sale. So there's someone who wants to buy it. There's someone who wants to sell it. You know, like I, I just can't think of a better model. And just to like try to take that away is like, seems silly. So right now, yeah, all, all of our contracts that have uh, 721s, which is, you know, something that, you know, you, you wouldn't burn. So we moved over four contracts and um, yeah, yeah, feels good. Except for burgers and lunches, but that's because they're essentially utility assets to be burned. We've had that question once or twice. Yeah. If they were going to stand the test of time forever, they would have been migrated Move. as well. Yeah. So as it stands, the four contracts now have royalty enforcement going on, it sounds like. And, you know, the, the reality is, like, it takes a specific type of persona, a specific type of team that's, like, willing to dig their heels in the sand on something like this. So I absolutely credit you guys for doing so. It sounds like maybe you thought that the... um you know, there could have been a little bit more uh, of com conversation, communication with the community. But the reality is, like, some of, like, the knee-jerk reaction is what puts that conversation into the forefront of people's attention, right? And sometimes it's like, that's a thing with FUD. Everybody is like, oh, no, FUD is negative. You know, it's kind of like that no press is bad press conversation when it comes to, like, look, it depends. When it brings this conversation to the surface... And it gives the platform an opportunity to really communicate what the message is, which is exactly what we're doing on this podcast here. You know, maybe maybe it's for the best. So that kind of brings us to this next part of the journey. Because what I'm hearing here, personally, I think is um, is bullish. Just like the sentiment of like, look, bring your fud. You know, you want to go trade without royalties, be my guest. We're going to do something about it. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. And for me personally, that puts you guys in the no fade zone. Okay. So that makes me perked up and interested in what you're about to do next, which is big ink. I've been trying to understand it. Frankly, I don't. And I'd like to get a little bit better understanding. So one of y'all, you know, can kind of jump in and tell us what's going on with big ink. What is it? Why? And when is this happening? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, so Big Ink is sort of like the sequel of Goblin Town to some degree, but it's also making our like universe a little bit more whole, right? We've got the Illuminati, we've got Goblin Town, we've got all these 187 characters. And if you read like the little summaries on each of them, there's a, a wider story, there's a wider narrative going on. And um, so when we launched Goblin Town, we had, you know, one of the things that we did was sort of innovative was... Uh, storytelling through metadata updates. So we had this thing called the uh, Mysterious Egg. And basically, there are five NFTs that every day, or not every day, every other day or every three days, the metadata would update. And what you found out after a while, about a month, month and a half, is that it was just telling a story. And it was telling what you found out to be the origin story for the baddie in Goblin Town, right? The, the big bad, the Darth Vader of Goblin Town. And we find out, now we know his name is Big Mister. Uh, but for a while, everyone just called him Ed. And he is uh, basically a dragon that um, died and came back to life, and he's the bad guy. So he's, he's Darth Vader, and all we knew is that he was just the, 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 the foil for goblins um, at the end of, we'll call it season one, or the, you know, the first you know, chapter that we did. And now we've sort of come back and said, you know, his sort of you know, fleshing out his story, which is he is the 
CEO of the conglomerate in Goblin Town, and that conglomerate is called Big Ink. And Big Ink is sort of like sells everything, right? They're like, they sell hygiene products and they sell, you know, uh, we like joke internally, like maybe we should put like, you know, legal pads and, and um, I think like a, doc, a doctor's pad. They, they, they sell everything. And um, he basically uh, kidnapped and brainwashed like animals that live on the outskirts of Goblin Town um, to become the employees at Big Inc. And so these are animals ranging from dogs and cats and ducks and and uh, there's uh, like I think we have like sixty-ish heads. Um, you know, every NFT collection you could think of, right, is represented. And um, these are all like what we call like serious. Like one of the jokes early on with Goblin Town was like about serious investors, and the joke came from a DM we got where someone's like, hey, I came to your Twitter space and all I heard was like these like, you know, garbage noises. Um, and I'm a serious investor and I want to know what your roadmap is and what your game plan is. And we just, we I think we tweeted it and we wrote like serious investor or something serious like that. Serious investor. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so these are the serious investors in Goblin Town and they're basically these, you know, at one point were cute animals that were sort of brainwashed, uh, kidnapped, brainwashed, and, like, stuffed into suits, and they work for Big Mister. And uh, they're like, you know, I, I like to use analogies. Some people on the team hate when I do this, but, like, they're like stormtroopers, right? Like, we, we've said many times before that, like, Star Wars is a big inspiration uh, for the team, but, yeah, they're, they're the equivalent of, um, of uh, you know, our version of, like, let's say a stormtrooper. And, um, you know, they're... There are these, uh, you know, we've we've shown them a few places already. And, um, yeah, that's, like, sort of the setup for what's happening in Season 2. Or, sorry, we're not following Season 2. We're following it. Chapter 64. And, you know, why 64? <laughs> why 64? Because it comes after 63. Now, um, I don't know if we said why. Are we sharing why, Jonah? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I think originally when we when someone on the team came up with it, it was just because it was like there's a lot of chapters before and there's a lot of chapters after, so it's like we could be very flexible on what we want to do. Like a lot happened basically. You know, my yeah. I, I have three kids and like I sometimes am uh, catching them watching Baby Boss, and this kind of has me uh, thinking about Baby Boss and the Baby Factory and this whole kind of thing. So I think it's it's pretty interesting, absolutely. So. Like t timing wise, like I don't know exactly when this this podcast is going to drop, but is there a mint coming up for uh, Big Ink? And if if you're holding, you know, Truth yep. Lab assets, how does the mechanics tie in? Basically, if you own an Illuminati, <laughs> you can get a you get a free mint. If you own a Believer Pass, which is something Illuminati's got like over a year ago, um, you get a you can get a special um, Believer acceptance letter. So basically, sorry, I actually should take a step back. So Big Inc. is a company, and you need to apply to join a company. So we're sort of like making a little bit of fun of like D-Gods and Utes, where you have to like apply to to join Big Inc., and you have to answer like three or four questions, which we like completely do not read. And then, um, and then uh, once you apply, you uh, get added to something called the Down Bad Board. And what it's basically doing is looking at the historical data from your, your wallet to see, like, different wrecked activities you could have participated in. 
Um, so some of the prompts are like, you bought the top or you, you know, minted an embarrassing NFT or you have a bunch of rec tokens or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, the more bad point down bad points you have, the better chance you have because big ink is looking for the worst traders. So they're looking for the thousand worst traders in the space because big mister has plans with them, you know? And, um, if you're one of the top thousand worst traders, you will be able to mint a big in character for free. Um, and, uh, you know, right now, uh, we, we, we've sort of set it privately to the, some of the community, but we're shooting for, um, a snapshot next Wednesday, um, 24 hours for Illuminati and Goblin Town to mint, uh, on, on Thursday and then a public sale on Friday. And the public sale is the mint price is 0 0.096 if you pay in ETH, but it's 50% off if you pay in Pepe. So you, uh, I don't know how many Pepe it is right now, but it's p the equivalent of 0 0.048. The assumption being you're all bad traders, so you have tons of Pepe in your wallets. Oh, we got Pepe. We're down bad and we got Pepe. There's no question. Please don't come at me. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, 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 but it is, it's all about that same concept of the gen and having fun. Um, and yeah, the down bad board is a really, a really great way to get people involved and, and, and just like have like a really fun way to look at your data. We call them the worst traders, but there's all sorts of prompts that you can earn points for that kind of just demonstrate that you're around, right? Like, like embarrassing mints. You might not have them anymore. Maybe you actually did well, but in hindsight, that collection has some kind of associations or whatever right so there's a lot going on in the prompts that are really fun i encourage you all to sign up is it contextual for bad mints like are we are we counting like the feet picks mint in there as embarrassing or it's it's not it's not bad it's embarrassing so yeah feet picks okay. is one of them you know even so miladies is doing well but miladies is a pretty embarrassing mint you know right uh yeah. same with like the rrbayc and the you know super yetis you might have made, you know, a nice amount of money on Super Yetis, but I would still, you know, still embarrassing to mint, mint the Yetis. Uh, or maybe to keep the Yetis. There's also a prompt if it's still in your wallet. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I know this is this is too complex, but I think, like, the god mode of embarrassing is if you, if you bought a Yeti, listed it, and then your listing expired and you still hold it, like, you had intention, like, you actually had belief that that thing was going to go somewhere that's you know i think that that's down bad embarrassing right there hypothetically possible not one of our prompts but yes um it sounds like whatever's in your hidden folder that you're trying to you know keep keep uh your dark little secret truth labs is about to put on we blast. see your hidden <laughs> folder we see everything <laughs> that's awesome man so look I, I definitely appreciate the history here one more question though Related back to Goblin Town specifically, you know, for people who are listening that may not be familiar, you know, just to recap, this ran from a free mint up to, gosh, over 80th floor. And there was a series of events that contributed to that. And one of those things was like a conspiracy theory that the team, that this is before anybody knew who was behind Goblin Town. There was a conspiracy theory that Yuga Labs was behind Goblin Town. And Goodmuth and I were talking about like, why was it? And, you know, part of it was like the delivery, the execution, 
the timing. And, you know, at that time, like if you executed and had God mode timing like that, like it just had to be Yuga, right? And it got to a point where Gordon Goner and, and Beeple were like together in a, in a photograph and they like leaned into this basically. And like, I think caused like the blow off top on that collection with their Twitter posts. Like from your guys' standpoint, you know, experiencing that as it was happening, like what were your thoughts as this was going down? I mean, it was fun. It was funny. Uh, I've, I've recently met all those people in, in, the, in the past, you know, let's say a year. And, you know, they're all really cool people, really nice. And they were just having fun, to be honest. I think there was like a handful of coincidences. Um, you know, for example, like Codas originally were called goblins just in their internal documents. We didn't know this, but it's just when people are sharing around that document, it said goblins, right? And they were Codas, but it, it, it didn't matter. And it's not something we saw before. Now, we didn't launch Goblin Town because we saw it said goblins in, in their in their pitch deck. Um, and then just like other things, like for example, we were revealing like a person um, every day on the team and it happens to be like Scott on our team had his with his dog and Gordon apparently has a dog. So they thought it was, you know, and like, um, but I think like people liked what we had and the fun we were doing and the performance art of it. And I think that led to a lot of it. But I think like, yeah, listen, specul in this in this space, speculation is like the name of the game. Now, we didn't purposefully try to speculate it and hype it and do anything. Um, we literally just put it out for free and just had like let it go. Um, you know, it went like crazier beyond our wildest dreams. We knew we had something interesting. Don't get me wrong. We knew it was fun. It was cool. But like we didn't know that people would take it this way, that way, et cetera. And sort of like escalate it but listen it was it was fun and sort of don't regret it at all i i i think the biggest problem i if i would like sort of think back is there's no there was no way that like any type of reveal could have like you know, we wanted to do more stuff with it but like maybe in in retrospect there was enough people who knew it was us that like and we were pretty tight but like there's no way we we wouldn't be able to keep it quiet that it was us. So we had to do something. Um, but I think in the, you know, I don't know, in the end of the day, uh, you know, once, even if I get, sell you, I sell you, sell you something for free. If Jonah buys it from you for, you know, 0.1 and you buy it for him for one ETH and then you buy it for five ETH, that person who buys it for five ETH has the expectation that you will be delivering value that they paid the money for even if it's unrealistic or there was no plan to do that. And that's, I think, an issue in this space is because that's a hard thing to live up to, right? Like, for anyone, um, other people's expectation that you have no involvement in except taking a small piece because they're buying your art, it's very hard to be like, oh, okay, you just bought it for 100 ETH? Like, and when even when Yuga hit 150 ETH, like, uh, Yuga's down 100 ETH, right? Like, I, I round trip this thing. Um, yeah. and it's like, I, but my expectation isn't you guys going to deliver me a hundred ETH of value. That's an, that's not fair to them or 150 ETH of value. Um, and I think that, that a lot of people don't see it that way in the space. And that just is going to end up disappointing everyone because it's like your expectation is so out of whack of what is, what, it, what reality is with any of this stuff. Yeah. The, the traders in the space have dwindled 
And I, it, it's a good thing. You know, I think it's narrowed down. I think a lot of us who got into the NFT, like I personally got into NFTs because art over charts. Like I was tired. I'd, I'd been in crypto for a long time. I was tired of looking at charts. I wanted to look at art. And I started to find people who felt the same. And so community was a big piece of that. And, you know, with bear market, you know, washing a lot of people out, a lot of people still, you know, leaving their full-time jobs and making money via trading. It's dwindled down to this trader network. This trader network is heavy on blur, now heavy on meme coins, doing things like that. The way, you know, I really look at it when we talk to brands or customers or people who want to learn about Web3 is it's like, it's it's really just like the small trading network, much like Wall Street is, right? It's like you have, if you if you want to trade Wall Street, like on the ground, you still are in New York, you're still cutting deals amongst the traders. And then there's, there's you know, commodities and, and security trading that happens over the, over the internet uh, from the retail side. But not everything needs to be, you know, in the thick of the OTC desk, if, if, if you will, um, so I'm bullish on I'm bullish on y'all. I'm bullish on y'all bringing the art, bringing the story. I think you know from a DGen perspective, from a keep it stupid simple perspective, Truth Labs looks like harrowing with the complexities. But I think from a long term content IP branding perspective, you guys are really tying and weaving it in together in a way that like. People are soon gonna find out, um, and I'm excited to I'm excited to see how your community grows with it and contributes. So stoked for y'all. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, Jonah, AGT, do you have any departing messages for our listeners here? Sign up for the Down Bad Board. See how What's down that? bad you are. Join us. Join us at Big Inc. I don't know if there's any live uh, interview opportunities left. I think that's all booked up, but you know. Go check out your score. It's fun. Join it. Yeah. Worst case, nothing. Best case, you're really down bad and you get a free uh, entry into this harrowing ecosystem. Definitely join us at Bit Big Inc. or we will uh, kidnap you and brainwash you to join. No. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, Alex, just just a long shot question here. Like five years for Truth Labs. Like where do you want it to be? I know it's a lot, a, a lot yeah. to do to get there, but like what do you I mean, see it as? I would love to... Have finally delivered all the 187. I would love to have an ecosystem of characters and story and IP and, you know, like, okay, maybe not the best example, but like, you know, because this is way too crazy, but like Marvel 1960 to 1964 is like the golden age of Marvel. In those four years, they launched Fantastic Four, X-Men, Iron Man, uh, the Hulk, Thor, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Doctor Strange, I said X-Men, X-Factor, and a handful of uh, Sp- Spider-Man. Oh, I forgot Spider-Man. Um, in a four-year period. And like, that obviously is like the most amazing four-year run for Stanley and Jack Kirby and stuff. You know, are we going to do that? I'm not going to put any pressure on anybody, but like, you know, would love to have an ecosystem of characters with amazing stories because in the end of the day, if you build great characters and tell great stories, you can do anything. You can do movies, you can do TV, you can do comics, you can do merch. You know, like NFTs is great and ownership is great and that's a whole new angle to this, but tale as old as time in terms of 
storytelling, IP, and then the ability to do anything you want. So that's where I hope we are. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah, and we have some bullish episodes on uh, just kind of saying that we, you know, we believe that the IP and branding of the 21 to 23 era is going to gonna outlive everyone that, that trades in it. So um, ex- extremely excited to see where y'all go with it. Facts, you got anything to wrap us up? Now, with that, I just want to say we appreciate your time and your efforts and what you're doing. And look, I personally really enjoyed the Goblin Town lore and fully dove into the art that was happening and those spaces and that whole experience. And so, you know, appreciate that, guys. Uh, keep fighting a good fight out here. I would say for the, our listeners, like, really think about the messaging regarding royalties and artists and creators and like what are we really doing out here you know if you want a team of people behind the scenes that are skilled working to promote and produce something that has a long-term best interest of some assets that you're holding like how do you treat those people how do you approach those teams and with that, appreciate your guys' time a lot, and I uh, would love to kind of wrap back up and, and get an update once Big Ink is out in the wild. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Good. That was a lot, man. That was a lot. We dug into IP. We dug into creator royalties. We talked about provenance versus you know a team that's building. I mean, what are some of your main takeaways here? Yeah, dude, they're they're a hardened team, right? Like you see it in their tone, you see it in their 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 faces. Like they're not really taking any shit, shoot or shoot. They they faffoed. They got a lot of success. They built community. They also b- brought a lot of traders in. They got a lot of wing gods running around. Win, 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 win. And they got a style. They 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 know how to capture lightning in a bottle in the way that they want to capture it. Process Gray, uh, you know, mans the ship with his art. Sounds like Alex mans the ship, you know, with him and Caesar with the biz dev ideas, the business model ideas. And, and you know, you love to see how many things they get in. One thing they mentioned in the pod was the fublur.com. I didn't know they launched that. So if you go to fublur.com, it's just a little, like, content website that basically says you know screw you blur um and most likely motivated them to get over to you know enforce royalties and just make a stance on the space from a creator standpoint i think they you know let's let's look at it right how many how many nft projects still retain their artist bake never hired an artist that was a contract you know, there's a lot of teams that have have just pummeled their artists and their artist hasn't made it, but Process Gray seems like he's leaning in, seems like he's he's producing content in Goblin style and Truth Lab style at clips that no artist on a team is, is doing today. I think that's bullish. I think if you want a brand IP play, I think that's bullish. I think I'm probably going to buy the Floor 187 for 6.5 ETH. If I get an opportunity for a team to go do biz dev on that IP and be a part of that lore, why not? It's bullish. 
Yeah, you liked that idea from the jump. I remember as soon as that announcement came out, you were like all, all over it. I'm looking at this uh, fublur.com. Pretty interesting. Fublur for turning art into shit coins and penny stocks with farming. What you call volume is the result of a pocket full of self-soothing farmers you've given a sugar-coated rotten carrot. We all know this myopic game of hot potato with artwork ends in somebody getting burned. It won't be the creators. Wash trading to farm token rewards is worse than grinding for loot crates. But listen, Blur, it's never too late for second chances. You have the power to fix this and your reputation. Creators need marketplaces and marketplaces need creators. We hope the end of season two sees the conclusion of Blur Farming and a shift to focus on contributing positively to the industry Now's your chance. That's the message. Pretty interesting. What we did see at the end of season two was not the end of farming, the continuation of farming, but also uh, the new product Blend, which is a lending, peer-to-peer uh, -peer lending protocol. And basically what's happening is that uh, liquidity providers who you know, previously were just being incentivized for, for having the highest bids, they're now being incentivized to give loans. And so what's happening is you're seeing these really low cost loans, sometimes zero interest loans with very high LTV, meaning very high loan to value ratio, where we saw something like an Azuki that you could buy for 15 ETH and you only really needed to put down one ETH and could, could borrow the rest at a very low rate, which is kind of unprecedented. You know, usually lenders, they want to have a lower LTV, so it's less risky, but these lenders are getting um, incentivized with tokens. But I think what's happening is they're realizing like, hey, man, I can only lend so much at these low rates. And then what happens is 24 hours later, they can re basically opt out of the loan. And then the loan goes into like this automatic auction where somebody else can pick up the loan and it becomes perpetual. So I think what's, what's novel here is perpetual lending. Suddenly I'm doing a commercial for Blur, but um, that's you know that's not the point. The point is that um, the royalties situation is unchanged. These guys are taking a stand against it. Blur itself as a product, um, look, is innovative too in their, in their own right. I mean, in terms of um, the, the lending feature, which I think is a very powerful tool for NFTs, like, you know, in my opinion, an objective measure of the blue chip status of an NFT is the amount of uh, loan that you can get on it. You throw it, if you throw an NFT up and another NFT up, if you throw up a, a you know, a Board Ape Yacht Club, and then you throw up a CryptoPunk, you know, right away you can get a certain amount of loan off of that. And then you go down like mutants and 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 uh, Azuki and so forth, all the way till you get down to a point where like you can't get a loan on something. So if you cannot get a loan on an NFT, is it a blue chip NFT? My opinion is no. What defines it objectively is the willingness of somebody else to say, yeah, I know this has X value. I'm willing to loan you this much on these terms. And so went on a little roundabout there. But with that, good. Any final thoughts here on this episode? No, dude. I just think that it, they're a relic. Like, I said the word 
harrowing, harrowing ecosystem. I don't think Jonah liked that. Uh, but Jonah, my bad. But my, but the reality is, you know, people are overwhelmed. But look, when you're building a brand, an IP empire, it's going to be confusing. Nobody walks into Marvel and says like, oh, this is how it works. One planet and one guy and everyone belongs, you know, under this guy's ownership. No, that's not how it works. There's friggin' Planet X, Planet 55, Planet 64, Planet Down Bad Avenue, character here, character here. That mom did this to that dad and who cares, right? Fact is, follow along. Get in. Like, get into the rhythm, figure out what's going on and get immersed and learn. I'm, t- I'm actually tired of DJs like not pushing themselves to learn. Get out and learn. Cause like we're all going to zero. Yeah, we're gonna be goners. And you know what? That's the thing with like the meme coin season, right? Is like, look, the blur meta, what it did is it created a certain amount of like liquidity, but at the same time, like the floors are not really moving anywhere, but like slowly down. And so People are not about that. And then you have these meme coins that are like popping off wild. And obviously, you know, they want to hop, you know, people want to hop on and catch some of those quote, easy, easy profits while they're there. But the reality is, is like meme coin trading is exhausting. It's not sustainable. People are going to get wrecked. Most of these coins go to zero. You know, it's like, it's, it's a very, I think, short time frame where people can keep that up. And I think that it's going to cycle through and we'll land uh, right where we did before, which was like, you know, the the keys of components of community, art, story, and all of these things that uh, NFTs are wrapped in. So with that, that's another episode of Never Fade, the NFT podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your feedback. Appreciate your time. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube and follow us on Twitter at Never Fade NFT to our producer Hazy B. Take us out, champ. That's a bad bet. If the bags check less, about to burn back to back. Flipping not cheap when that Jenny Duh hits. That's the race to one. 250 in the world, and you chose to sleep. That's a bad bet. If you wake up check less, no more people without bags, but they need status. Running head first with the BB check thirst. Never heard of a hearse, but they connect in the